Is the secular left their new religious right? That's the controversial call being made by cultural commentator Mark Hadley. He says there's a new wind of intolerance blowing. But what I want to know is, what are we supposed to do about it? This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Joining us now on the phone is Mark Hadley, movie critic, cultural commentator, perhaps would, would be a better description. How are you doing, Mark? Good, thanks, Nathan. You can probably just refer to me as someone with too many opinions. And this article in particular we're going to talk about today is is more in that sort of cultural, even societal, even political. So, yeah, hold on to your hats, listeners. Um, this will get a, a little bit political, but I think, you know, we need to make sure we, you know, we try to deal with it sensitively and, and consider all, all sides of the issues we're going to try to tackle. Now, you wrote an article for us in the May edition of Science of the Times, Mark, and you uh, entitled it The New Pharisees. Now, could you just explain what what point were you trying to make there? I mean, I, I reviewed it and read it just before. I thought, boy, there's just so much stuff in here. It's all sort of interlinked. It's all sort of interwoven. I think I better leave it to Mark to explain. You know, <laughs> what? Well, let's see if I can do uh, uh, justice to what I actually spent, you know, thousands of words writing. <laughs> sure. But, uh, that said, I mean, as we, as many people were probably familiar, Pharisees were kind of like the 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 bad guys in the gospel story. Mm-hmm. They were, if you know anything about the life of Jesus, you know that um, he had many opponents, but. Mm-hmm. Some of them particularly were the Pharisees, and they were a sect of people who basically built their life around rules, what you could say, what you couldn't say, what you could do, what you couldn't do. And if you, if you ticked off all the rules, then you're in a good relationship with God or, or you're in the highest state of, of happiness as you could possibly be. Right. And, and a Pharisee is actually a term that's kind of pushed its way into English via the Gospels. So that today, even people who know nothing about God might actually use the word Pharisee and say, you know, that person's a bit of a Pharisee, or that's a bit of a Pharisaical way of looking at things. And what they're actually meaning is something that's quite pedantic or hypocritical or, Mm. or, you know, critical of of people's behavior. Mm. Judgmental, perhaps. That's right, that's right. Mm. And, and for the longest time, Pharisee has been related as a term to associate with you know, religious people, to be honest. Mm. People who have big opinions about how other people should live and what they should do and what they shouldn't be allowed to do. Mm-hmm. And that Pharisee term has, has really sort of found a little place in our society, as I say, for people who are, well, let's say, my mum used to say, you know, with their noses in the air, mm-hmm. looking down on everybody else. Okay. Now, now Mark, we, we subtitled your, your article, The New Pharisees, we subtitled it, Has the Secular Left Become the New Religious Right? Is, is that a fair characterization of the, the sort of themes that, that you explored there? It is, and you can you can read the article in detail to see how I explore that. But mm. but in short, you're right. Once upon a time, it was the right wing of politics who would be the highly critical people, the mm-hmm. the people who would be declaiming the way that people live their lives or criticizing whether it be marital status or family relationships or just the way that people chose to make a living, even mm-hmm. sometimes. And that was the that was the the voice of the right, and so they were. They were, if you like, the Pharisees of our society at that time. Mm-hmm. But really, when we start talking about stuff like that, we're, we're talking 40, 50 years ago, because now it's not the right wing that is the most critical edge of our society, not the sharpest commentary on what's going on in life. 
But strangely, it's actually the left. Now, some people who might be listening might be thinking, right, left, I don't really understand that. Yeah. But look, if yeah. I just give you a, a, like a, a thumbprint ver- version of politics, mm-hmm. on the right are people with less government involvement, very conservative morals, things like that. Mm-hmm. And on the left are people who are saying... Um, big government, lots of involvement, and particularly uh, what we call small-L liberal or liberal democratic democratic views. So Mm -hmm. freedom of thought and religion and freedom of behavior and particularly even Mm self-identity. And these days, you you used to think of in the 70s and the 80s that the the left were the sort of people who were were like embracing anything and everyone. Mm -hmm. It was all about allowing people to find their own way. But weirdly now they have become the most critical voices, okay. which is a very strange thing. Hence my suggestion, look out, there's actually a new Pharisee and we might not be recognising who they are. Okay, all right. I, I think I remember hearing a, a, a description about the, the left and the right when it comes to freedom. They say the right emphasises the freedom to shop and the left emphasises the freedom to shag. <laughs> That's one shorthand I suppose you could take to it. And I think the truth, too, is that, that morality was self-defined on the left, whereas mm. on the right, you might have had much more traditional worldviews. Sure. Uh, often, there's an alignment between, some people would say, between Christianity or, or even between hardline Muslim mm. behavior and the right. It's sort of like set worldviews versus make up your own worldview. Right. Uh, and that's another way of thinking about the left and the right. Okay, all right. Now, you, you make an interesting point uh, in your article, Mark, that if uh, a hippie from the you know late 1960s with all their protests and all the uh, societal changes they were calling for was to... Um, you know, be suddenly transported in a time machine to 2019 and to look around to our society and, and culture now, they would possibly be quite impressed with the, with the strides find, that we've they taken. They would find very little to protest about. Mm. And, and that's, the, that's the interesting thing in terms of the struggles uh, with, freedom of, with freedom of sexuality or freedom even of the way that we choose to entertain ourselves, the drug use itself has found a place in our society that is that is much more much stranger it would be to someone who's in the 50s mm. if they're looking at us today in terms of the the marriage or family relationships that we find normal now or for that matter right down to the gender politics mm. you know that would be incredibly radical and and, and racial and, and, and ethnic politics as well i mean we you know the, the sorts of uh, rights that they were calling for in the 60s of you know racial equality and you know in America the civil rights movement I mean that sort of stuff is generally accepted now as just normal and acceptable isn't it exactly and in fact lest I make it sound like I'm demonizing the the left or anything like that you know great things have been achieved hmm. so you know, we've got a much greater concern for feminism and for the the rights of women in the workplace we are so much more concerned about the disabled and their place within society we as opposed to I remember quite well in my family structure going back 30, 40 years of having a disabled aunt whose place was at home in a room and she was allowed to come out on special occasions, you know, mm. and that was considered quite normal. Mm. Um, so we've moved so far in, in that respect of, of recognizing the place and rights of the individual in society, and that is great. Mm. Uh, but mm. there are other things that we have picked up along the way that, as I was saying in my article, are somehow now becoming more like the 
belittling, the strident, the critical voices that we used to despise, mm. and yet they're now in the centre of our politics. Okay. And, and you take aim in particular in your article, Mark, on political correctness. And I know that this is a, this is a term that is a little bit of a lightning rod for the right of politics in, in particular. So what do you mean when you use the term you know, political correctness? Well, political correctness is a, is a way of really censoring what people have to say. Mm-hmm. And there's probably no two ways about that. Uh, it starts as an idea of we must refer to everybody fairly or we must refer in a way that actually values all individuals and no troubles with that sort of political correctness. Well, well that's but right. And, soon, and, 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 and I think, Mark, it's important to pay tribute to that. I mean, there was a time when people very regularly used quite nasty racial terms to describe one another, you know, when all sorts of minority groups had some you know, quite belittling, quite horrible terms thrown around about them, you know, in the public media, by political leaders, by just the everyday person. And, and now we frown at those sort of, you know, racial, uh, racial epithets and, and things like that. I mean, surely that's a good thing. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, to put context in things, there, uh, I remember when I was growing up in a small town in, in, in Australia, if some, you know, people would have things like concrete Aboriginals standing mm-hmm. in their gardens, mm-hmm. and they would refer to them as, uh, that's my Neville, as a reference to Neville Bonner, who was a, a, a great uh, Aboriginal activist. Right. Um, and, we, and this would just be past the course. There was an Aussie TV show, um, Kingswood Country, that they actually, um, the family there had Neville, the concrete Aborigine, in their front yard. I, I remember that quite, yeah, quite there distinctly. There immortalised, immortalised in TV. Mm. And in fact, if you like, TV's often a means of reflecting mm. where the culture is thinking right now. But my point in the article is that political correctness has travelled further now than just censoring inappropriate language, Mm -hmm. but actually censoring any language that doesn't particularly line up with a liberal democratic or or left-leaning style of viewing the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, the the best example would, would have to be gender politics at this point in time. Right. And the way that we've got to start changing the way that we use he, she, uh, so as to somehow be more inclusive with people who might not necessarily feel like they want to identify with those labels. Mm. Or our need to almost, if you'll forgive the pun, religiously mm. acknowledge yep. Aboriginal smoking ceremonies or, or things like that. Now, well, welcome to in country. And mm. Of themselves, these are not wrong. But when we start using them as means to browbeat other people into not expressing their opinion or not being able to even to say what they think, well, then this political correctness becomes basically social censorship. Mm. And it also strikes me, Mark, that there's a class aspect to this, you know, because it's the people who are the sort of tertiary educated elites you know, in media, in government, in, in tertiary education. They are the people who are up with the latest sort of terminology, the latest words that have been, you know, blacklisted, which is probably a <laughs> un-PC word in itself, whereas the everyday person on the street, the person who you know, has a job as, you know, as a cashier or, or a job in a factory or, or works on a farm, is often not up with the latest developments in what is now considered unacceptable language. And they, I guess they, they feel angry at you know, being branded a, a, a redneck or, or ignorant or, or hateful, even worse. Oh, agreed. And I think that's part of the problem is that people are being held up to standards they're not sure they ever agreed to. And that's 
that's hard or, or that we're never explained. The thing with political correctness is it's often inferred and it's imbibed by institutions. So you mention middle class and, and upwardly educated people mm. and I point you towards schools. I think in schools where you have university educated teachers imbibing the most appropriate way to refer to people, but then going maybe one step further and saying, well, we don't want to in any way offend a particular group, so we will eliminate any reference to Christianity within our, our school. And now if that's the case, when it comes to celebrating Christmas, we still want to celebrate Christmas, but we better focus everything on Santa. When it comes to Easter, well, that's there is intrinsically and without doubt a, a Christian celebration, but what we're going to have to do is focus it on rabbits and eggs rather than mm. anything to do with Jesus. Now, this is not this is political correctness taking a whole new step. It's not identifying what is actually offensive. Mm. It's inferring what could be offensive mm -hmm. and thereby starting to take it away. This is, this is, I think, where political correct correctness creates a whole new realm of new Pharisees. Mm. So you have self-appointed people. They could be petty officials in, in government departments. They could be teachers. They could be principals. They could be members of the local Rotary Club yeah. who are particularly focused on trimming out of society anything that might possibly give an offence. I'd say the problem with political correctness is when it makes the goal to not offend anyone, as though, as though being offended in itself was a goal to be avoided, was, was a problem. Well, sh sh should we not try to avoid offending people? Well, it, it depends on what you mean by offensive. Mm. So if, if, for example, uh, someone's swearing around my children in a public place, well, I would call that offensive because I'm trying the best I can to raise my kids in a way that, that would be acceptable with the, the mores that I adopt in my society. So mm. I might say to myself, well, look, if I can't get away from that person, I might ask them, please, you know, your, your behavior is, is offensive and I'm trying not to, you know, for the sake of my children, would you rein that in? Mm -hmm. But so I can see a place for us avoiding offensive behaviour, but if offensive by you know by your definition happens to be someone who disagrees with me, mm. well that's a confusion we've got to be very careful of. You see, my problem in society today, and as I sort of mentioned this in my article, is that we have confused offensiveness and disagreement, mm. as if somehow to simply disagree would become an offensive thing. And so suddenly now, well, if you've got a, the, the role of political correctness is not actually to stop us being offended, but to stop us expressing anything that somebody might disagree with. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah, and, and I guess the, for me, the, the elephant in the room right now is, is Israel Folau. One yeah. of the struggles with the Israel Folau situation is that in one respect, it really would not have mattered how carefully he said what he said. I mean, some people might say, mm. yeah, I agree with his opinion. I just wish he'd expressed it differently. Yeah. But the truth is that given the current climate where, where in fact, disagreement is itself offensive, mm. it really doesn't matter if he'd, been, if he'd phrased it in the perfect Shakespearean English. It is his opinion itself mm. that has become offensive. And I struggle with that. Because though I don't agree with everything that goes on in society, I do want to respect the freedom for people to express different opinions than mm, mine, mm. because I also want to respect my own chances of, of expressing my opinion. The Bible puts it this way. We, we need to speak the truth, 
but we need to speak it in love. Yeah. So if I'm going to if I'm going to disagree, I need to do it lovingly. Now the mm. Bible doesn't try and eliminate disagreement. It simply says the way you go about disagreeing is to do it lovingly. Mm. Mm. And some people might might wrestle with the way that you know Israel has actually expressed himself. Mm. But the truth is, I think a whole lot more are just finding the idea that he has expressed as offensive. And to me, that is the unfortunate end of political mm. correctness. Actually, I saw a, a tweet from Francis Leach, who, Leach, who used to be a, an ABC um, journalist and is now you know, working with the union movement. So, you know, not someone who you would expect, you know, you know from their reactionary right sort of thing. And, and he said, you know, what is going on with this Israel Folau thing that he merely expressed something that is written in, you know, every Bible that's sitting in a whole lot of uh, bookshelves around the nation. He, he merely re- repeated how he un- what he understood that to say. Mm. And he, he lost his job because of it. Look, it's, it's, it's a tricky issue because then you get into, well, he was under contract and blah, blah, blah. But then should a contract include that, that sort of thing? I guess I, I don't want to get caught up in all that. But yeah, it, it, does, it does really underline what you're saying merely to, to express an opinion or even if it's not a personal opinion, if, even if you feel, look, it's not my opinion. This is just how I see the, this is what the Bible says. Merely expressing a, a religious belief is suddenly homophobia and it sort of makes you wonder well, what happens next do we ban all bibles or or, or edit, well, I mean, this or, or is edit the, them the to thing, take I mean, out look it's very very hard to have this conversation without starting to sound alarmist but mm. bear with me a second as i say that sure. one of my lines of work is, is i produce historical documentaries so that's mm. i spend a large amount of my time traveling overseas and writing documentaries that there is various periods in history Mm. and there are some unfortunate parallels in history where you have people clamping down not on clamping down on ideas Mm. and calling it a moralism that's acceptable to us all Mm. Uh, it was the sort of thing that that resulted in in kristallnacht in in germany in 1938 where the offensive culture of the Jews was literally dragged out into the streets and smashed, you know, by the um, National Socialist Party at that time. Mm. And it's happened in many other societies as well. Now, we think to ourselves, we're so far away from, Mark, that's way over the top to be comparing Australia to 1930s Germany. Yeah, I mean, come but on, yeah. The, I mean, don't play the but Nazi card. The strange thing is you know? that the 1930s Germany people <laughs> yeah. didn't think that they were being outrageous either. Mm. The moment we start saying disagreeing is itself offensive, well, we have become the new Pharisees because the Pharisees are the dominant voice in the culture telling you what you can and what you can't think. Now, once upon a time, that was all the way over on the political right. Mm-hmm. Strangely, now it's all the way over the, on the political left. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it wouldn't really matter where it was. Yeah. I'd be saying the danger is when you confuse disagreement with offence, then we put, place ourselves in a very dangerous position. Okay. So... Are you suggesting that conservative politics is more inherently Christian than progressive politics? Is, is, oh, is, is, is that what you're not trying to say? A wonderful thing about Australia, I was actually in my church on the weekend and we were praying about this. The wonderful thing about Australia is that we actually have two largely sensible ends to politics. Mm. It's not as if we have a, a radical end that's trying to smash everything or another radical end that's trying to you know, imprison everyone. Mm. We actually have two fairly sensible ends of politics that are each seeking to try and get to 
if you like, the happiest state of, of living in Australia. Mm. They just have different methods about getting there. You're, you're talking about the two major parties, I, I assume. Yeah, if I was yeah. talking about you know, the wings of politics, so to speak, where you'd have Liberal and National on one end and you'd have Labor and, and maybe uh, Democrat on the other, probably mm. the Greens. Mm. And, yeah, you've got, you've got basically two sides to politics in Australia. But I believe that there are Christians in, in both yeah. you know, camps. There so I've no trouble with that, and I believe they're sincere. They just sincerely believe that there are different ways to get to the same destination, which is mm. you know, a happy coexistence of all of us in Australia. Yeah. But the, the thing I am, I'm saying is, once upon a time, it was the right who mm. was trying to enforce both through social conservatism and editing of language and, and the sort of behavior that had people walking differently in the streets. Mm -hmm. And now it just happens to be on the left. The problem with Phariseeism is that it is quite ubiquitous in the way it attaches itself to political thought. It really doesn't mind. Mm. It is a sinful nature. And I'll, I'll tell you three things. You know, if you dragged Jesus into this conversation right now, yep. you'd, you'd think you'd find he has a lot to say about Pharisees because he was always on the, on the offense with them mm. when he was battling them in his day. And it, one of the things that he said is, is that you basically, you have a mistake at the center of, of this Phariseeism. You think that by the controlling everybody's external behavior, that will change their heart. Mm, mm. So he says, the way Jesus put it was, you clean the outside of the cup, and you think that's a good thing, but inside is all full of all sorts of evil and sin and treachery and, and yeah, other you know, yeah. gruesome things. Or he says, you're like whitewashed tombs. The outside is good, the inside is full of dead men's bones. Mm, wow. And today, Pharisees, whether they be from the right or the left, are making the same mistake. If I can force everybody to change their outside... This will somehow change the heart of society, yeah. and it won't. It's a failure. It was a failure 2,000 years ago as an idea. It was a failure in the 1960s, and it's a failure today. Mm, okay. Uh, you know, that's, that's probably the thing I think Jesus would say strongest Pharisees, both then and now. Yeah. Okay, so, so if, if we're going to define you know, a Pharisee very broadly the way you're, you're doing it, I guess we're, we're looking for a group of people that has cultural power, perhaps even political power, but they're also the people who claim the moral high ground. You know, those, yes, the, the, or, or if they would even claim to represent the center, mm. um, which is a very dangerous thing to do. Mm. Interestingly, C community uh, attitudes we often hear. A, a study has been released in the United States uh, recently that suggests that society is not actually divided into those who might sit on the right and those who might sit on the left, mm. but about 4% of people who are sitting on the near conservative right, about 6% who are sitting on the, the left-wing liberal democratic sort of position mm -hmm. and a large majority inside that are just silent and exhausted. There's, um, yes. And so social yeah. media itself, the large amounts of traffic going through social media are actually being controlled by this 6% and this 4% mm -hmm. and not really reflective of what's actually happening to the other 90% sitting in the middle. Okay, well, we'll it, talk... Talk, to, yeah, talk, sorry, talk to the 90% for us, Mark, because what, what is the way forward for, for those of us who are in that 90%, who are that you know, silent majority? These are the people that, you know, that Scott Morrison claimed had voted him back in as Prime Minister 
you know, just just recently saying there are these silent Australians who, you know, who have all these views and they're the ones who voted me in. But what's the way forward for those silent Australians? Should should we still just remain silent? Should we do battle? I, I don't know if you've read Rod Dreher's uh, book, The Benedict Option. He's, he's addressing Christians in particular. And he says, listen, the, our culture is so secular now and so anti-Christian that we shouldn't, we should forget doing battle. We should just withdraw and concentrate on raising our our kids in a you know with Christian values in I guess in a sort of a commune community sort sort of sort of way. I mean, what are the options? You know, do battle, withdraw, what? Well, I think you know I'm going to try and pick a middle way here because to be honest, yeah. I'm not ready for a commune myself. <laughs> but but I would say that we never ever want to underestimate the power of, of a pure life. Mm. So there are lots of different ways of influencing society. Mm. Now, let, let me do a thought test for you. Yeah. Imagine you and your audience think back and tell me if you can you know, just bring to mind, say, a book that changed your life or, or maybe a sermon you heard mm. that changed your life or even if you're that way inclined, a, a documentary that changed your life. Mm. Mm. You, you can probably search through your, your brain and find one or two. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Someone might say it was that, that Forks Over Knives documentary that really made them think differently about, yeah, about e- eating meat, for example. Or, or exactly. it could be, like for me, probably C.S. Lewis's Narnia series you know, that I read over and over and over again as a kid have, has definitely inf- influenced my, my worldview. Okay, so there, there, there are two examples. So go, go on. Okay, so there's no, there's no doubt that we can find material in the public realm mm. that shapes us. Oh, yeah. But let me go one step further. How much easier is it for you to think of somebody, somebody, some person mm. who has transformed your life? Right, yeah. It, isn't it easier for that name to come to mind straight away? Absolutely. You know, aren't you, isn't it easier for you to think of that, that friend of the family or that, that uncle or, or maybe your father or your mother oh, or absolutely. the friend who got, got alongside of you? The power of the pure life mm is inestimable in mm. comparison to the public debate. Mm-hmm. So what do I want to say to people who are out there, particularly the Christians who might be listening and saying, well, what's the point? Your life lived for Christ makes a huge difference. Mm. How you respond gently and in love and still disagree, mm. but somehow show your integrity by loving your enemies. What a society-changing thought that was that Jesus put in front of all of us. Mm. How you reflect him will make a difference. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure how much of a difference it will make in the halls of power, so to speak, yeah. but it will affect the neighbors on either side of your house. It will affect the people you meet at the school. It will affect the people that, that you happen to know through sporting events or you stand on the sidelines with as your kids run along. This is society-changing power. Do I want to withdraw? Not at all. Because as a Christian, Jesus tells me that I've been given some information that not simply transforms life now, mm. but has hope for all eternity. If I pull out now, it's like, it's like the surf lifesaver saying, it's just too much trouble to go down to the beach. Mm-hmm. It's not an option. We have a role. How are we going to do it in a way that, that actually transforms lives not draws lines. Mm. So, so n- not to run away, but but not either to um to seek to to dominate and you know take power, take control, but merely to to live out a life you know according to the principles of the gospel, as you say, you know, gently and and in love and and 
to be firm with your convictions, which, I mean, sometimes people see that as, as judgmental merely by you living differently. But, but I guess if they see you're a, you are a genuine friend and you are genuinely there to help them and you do genuinely help them, that it can sort of put that in context, can't it? Absolutely. Look, you know, we have a principle we actually work by in terms of creatives. We call it the neighbourhood principle. Mm -hmm. You know, when we are writing programs, we don't often tell people straight out, look, this is a Christian program. Mm. But we might actually show that there's something, a reasonable idea, followed up by a reasonable idea, followed up by a reasonable idea. And then when you show that it's actually a Christian idea, mm. people are much more open to actually hearing sure. the basis of what you're talking about. Sure. And it, we call it the neighbourhood principle because you think about it. You live next to your neighbour and you lend them a shovel because they're putting some plants in the front or something like that, mm. or mm. something's fallen down their house, you come over and you help them put it back up again, or maybe you cook them a nice meal because you hear someone's sick in the family and that makes it a little easier for everyone. And if then the next thing they learn about you somewhere along the way is that you're a Christian, mm. it makes it very, very hard for them to dismiss the claims of Christ mm. because mm. they already know somebody who is life has, has markedly changed. Yeah. And yeah. I suspect that every person who has become a Christian can point to at least one person in their life who became Christ to them. Yeah. Uh, who is able to show that. So, no, disengagement, as I say, is not really an option for us, mm. but being wise and being loving, well, these are the approaches that we would look for. I'm not going to be afraid of people who are trying to guard my words and tell me I can say this and I can't say that. Mm. I'm going to try and progress. You know, sometimes I think to myself about the Israel Flower situation and I think to myself, wow, how brave would I be? But I've got to say, I've got to speak the truth yeah. and I've got to do it with as much love as I can because otherwise, well, I'm a, like I said, a recalcitrant lifesaver <laughs> and that's not helpful to anybody. No. Well, some r really challenging thoughts there, Mark Hadley. Uh, thanks so much uh, for your time today and thanks so much for your article. Always happy to get Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast.